Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke 15, verses 1 through 2 and 11 through 32. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am, dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we have to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Thank you, John, for reading that powerful story. Uh, this summer, we have been in a series on the parables of Jesus. These stories were Jesus' favorite way to teach. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says he didn't teach the crowds except through using a parable. These stories almost have a very surprising and unexpected twist or a shocking or scandalous element. The, the hated Samaritan is the hero of the story. The tiny mustard seed is the great power of the kingdom. And the lost sheep is actually the joy 
of the shepherd. It leaves you saying when you when you come to these twists and turns and unexpected elements going, what? How? how? What's going on? Now, all these twists and turns are meant to cause us, uh, in the words of one of my professors, cognitive uh, dissonance. One of my professors from seminary loved to use that phrase, where we're just meant to go, what? This is blowing my mind. Think of the emoji with the little head, mind blown. What is going on? What is happening? These subversive stories show us how Jesus does not fit any of our human categories. Now, this story that we just heard read, often called the parable of the prodigal son, is one of the longest parables of all. And of all the parables, it has the most twists and turns and shocks and unexpected elements. It blows all of our categories if we really understand what's going on in this story. This is the third of three stories Jesus told back to back to back in Luke chapter 15. There was the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now we see a story about two lost sons. I want to look at the setting first of this story. And as we go, you'll be seeing portions of the story showing up on your screen as we go. Look with me then at verses 1 and 2 in Luke chapter 15. Let's get those uh, verses up on the screen. You see there the setting. Why did Jesus tell this story? Who is he telling it to? There you see the setting. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, what was the problem? What was going on? Well, we need to understand that to eat with someone in Jesus' day, that signaled acceptance, uh, approval, that you accepted and approved of them. But if you were a religious teacher, if you were a rabbi of the day, to eat with someone also signaled that they were accepted and approved by God. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were wondering what was going on as they saw Jesus eating with those who were sinners, who were tax collectors. Why is Jesus attracting and accepting all these immoral sinners? These are the people who are ruining our nation and our religion. Yet Jesus is welcoming them. Yet Jesus is showing them, signaling to them that they are accepted by God. How can it be? We've been obedient. They're the disobedient. And yet they're sitting down with Jesus. What is going on? This story is Jesus' response. For many, many years, this story has been called the Evangelium in Evangelio. It's a Latin way of saying the gospel in the gospel. It's a phrase that means in this story we find the very heart and essence of who Jesus is, of what Christianity is all about. And I think that's true. In this story of all the parables that Jesus told, we find the very heart, the very core of his message of the gospel. So what I want to do for us is first take us through this story. We need to feel the twists and the turns and the shocks and the scandals that are all throughout this story. And then I want to, after we do that, share three of the lessons, the mind-blowing lessons that blow all of our categories from this parable. So let's dig in. First, 
the title. <laughs> in, my, in my Bible, um, it says, The Parable of the Prodigal Son. I don't know what it says in your Bible, but this is another one of the parables that I believe is misnamed, is wrongly named. Last week, we looked at the story of the lost sheep. But as I said uh, last week, that parable is also misnamed because it's more about the shepherd. It should be called the story of the searching shepherd. Now, remember the setting of these stories and who this story was for. It was for two groups. Both needed to hear this. Both needed to hear all three of these stories. But if one was the primary audience, it wasn't the prodigal sinners who were sitting and eating with Jesus. It was the moral Pharisees who are clearly represented in the elder brother. So a better title is probably the story of the lost sons, plural. And that's how the story begins, does it not? Look at verse 11. You put that up uh, on the slide. A man had two sons, Jesus said. This is a story about two sons. Part one of the story begins with the younger son. The younger of the sons said, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So the father distributed the assets to them. Now this is the first major shock in the story. And it's major. What this younger son did was unheard of at the time. He was asking for the rightful share, his rightful share of the inheritance. So it was coming to him. But at this time, when a father died, uh, the eldest son uh, was entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. So the younger son is asking uh, for his third. The older son was going to get two-thirds. The younger son in this family was going to get one-third. But the shock is he's asking for it right now. This is not just unusual. Scholars say this is more than just an insult. What the younger son is saying by asking for his inheritance right now is he's saying to his father, I wish you were dead. He's saying to his father, I don't want you. I just want your stuff and I want it right now. Friends, this is a picture of sin, of wanting God's good gifts, but wishing him dead. Talk about that more later. The son's request would have been appalling. Would have been appalling to this culture, but the father's response would have actually been maybe just as shocking. What does the father do? Look at verse 12 again. Let's put that up on the screen. It says, he distributed the assets to them. Literally, the literal translation of this verse, verse 12, is that he divided his life. The word there is bios. That's where we get our word, biology, the study of life. He divided his life between them, the land and the assets. This was the father's life. These were the resources he had to live on to sustain him in his old age. At this time, he would have been ex ex expected to keep his honor, to punish the son for making such a dishonorable request, even to drive him out of the house with nothing for doing something that so disrespected him and even the entire community. But what does the father do? He lets him go. He lets him take a part of his life, his bios. Isn't that how it feels when someone we love 
says to us, you know, I don't want to be here. It's nice to receive things from you, but I don't want you. I reject you. If that has happened to you, when that happens to us, it's like a part of our life is being taken away by that person. It hurts so much. The son said to the father, I want your things, but I don't want you. Even if it meant breaking the relationship with the father, even if it meant breaking the father's heart, he didn't care. And that is what he did. Let's now look at verse 13 in the slide. So what did he do? He gathered all that he had. He traveled to a distant country where he squandered all of it in foolish living. He spent it all. He used it all up. And then what happened? It says a famine came, and then he had nothing. So in verse 15, we see he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And you say, okay, wow, that is not the job that I would want. Feeding pigs and craving pig food sounds bad enough to us. But at the time, to those who were listening to the story, it was even worse. This was a picture of the most disgraceful condition you could find yourself. He was working as a Jewish man for a Gentile. Pigs were unclean, considered really like the most unclean of animals and food for the Jewish people. So he's working for a Gentile. He's living with pigs. He has dishonored his dad. He's lived a life of sin. Now he is as far off from God as you could be. He is living as a Gentile amongst pigs. So lost. And then in verse 17, let's put that slide up. What happens? When he came to his senses, he comes up with a plan. What am I doing here? I know in verse 18 he says, I'll get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say this. So he comes up with a plan. He says, I will be uh, like a hired worker. There he is in the pigsty saying, my father's hired workers, they have a better life than this, so here's what I'm going to do. I'll be like one of them. Now, a hired worker at this time was not one of the servants who lived in the home. Hired workers lived outside of the home and worked, like it says, for hire for those who had land and work. So he says, I'm not worthy to get back into the home, but here's my plan. Maybe I can pay off what I've done. Maybe I'll never make my way back into the home of my father again, but maybe I'll have enough to live on. Maybe I can pay him back. That's the end of part one. Part 2 begins in verse 20. Let's now look at verse 20 and following. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And so he ran to him. And here is another shock, another scandal. At this time, both Jews and Greeks believed it was dishonorable for a man to run in public. You have to pick up your robes, kind of show your legs, and be running. And they felt that was so undignified for a proper and respectable man to do. But the father doesn't care. He runs. He throws his arms around the neck of his lost son, and he kisses him. The son begins, right, his prepared speech. But he couldn't finish it. 
Do you see that in the text? The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he doesn't even get to his plan. How come? Because the father interrupts him. He tells his servants, No, quick. Get the robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. This robe was probably the father's best robe, only used on special occasions. Probably the best piece of clothing in the entire house. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. This is probably a symbol of being brought back into the home, back into the family, and sandals on his feet. The only people at this time who went barefoot uh, were servants, were slaves. He says, I'm not going to receive you as a servant. I'm receiving you as a son. Put the sandals on his feet. And then he says, get the fatted calf. Slaughter it. Now, a fatted calf at this time, um, this was only used for a huge feast. It wasn't just one uh, family that could eat a fatted calf. We have a big family, me and my wife. We have four kids. We eat a lot of eggs. We need to go to Costco like every week to get the giant pack of eggs. But there's no way we could eat a whole cow. <laughs> and there's no way this family could have eaten a whole cow. This was a community celebration. So the father says, get the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate. He's going to restore his son back into the life of the family and of the entire community. <laughs> there's more shock. There's offense here even. The father's action are such radical grace, such unacceptable grace at this time. The community, if they saw this son come back, would have said, it is time to shame this son for what he did to you in our community and to shun him. That was the right thing to do, to maintain honor. But the father throws a party. That sound familiar? Remember the setting. Remember where Jesus was when he told this story. He was throwing a party. That's part two, but there is a third part. Now comes the older son. The older son, well, all this is happening, he's out in the field. Maybe he's working. Let's look at verse 25. So he's out in the field. He comes near the house. He hears music and dancing, and he's like, what is happening? He summons one of the servants, questioning, what does this mean? And the servant says, your brother's here. Your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he's brought he's brought." him back. He has him back, safe and sound. And verse 27 says, what? What was the response? He became angry. He didn't go in. Here is another shock. Here is another scandal. At this time, older brothers, the oldest uh, male in a family, his role, his job was to preside over all family celebrations and banquets. He was supposed to be the host, but he doesn't go in. And the father comes out to him. And what does it say? He pleaded with him. Another shock. Fathers don't plead with their sons at this time, but he pleaded with him. And what does the son say in verse 29? Look at it. Look, I've been slaving many years for you, yet you never gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. He says, I've been slaving, I've never disobeyed your orders, but this son of yours, he can't even call him brother. 
He devoured your assets with prostitutes. He comes back and he gets a party. And the father's response, look at the father's response. As my son. And the son said, look, completely disrespectful. No son would have addressed their father in this way at this time. But how does, this, how does the father respond to that? My son, this is a tender word. It could be translated, my child. So loving and tender in the face of such anger and disrespect. He says, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. You'll lose nothing from this. He says, we had to celebrate. We had to rejoice. Remember who the elder brother represents, right? It's the Pharisees, the ones who were the enemies of Jesus, the ones who were always trying to trap him, the ones who were always working against him. And Jesus gives them such a tender and loving picture. The father says, we had to celebrate. We had to rejoice. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is now there we see in verse 32, the story ends. But what happened? Did the older brother ever come into the house? Jesus doesn't tell us. Now we're transported back to the beginning of the story in verses 1 and 2. As Jesus is sitting with the sinners, the tax collectors, the younger brothers of his time, and the elder brothers are standing outside, complaining, accusing, in anger. Did they ever come in? We're not told. Now, there is an amazing picture that I want to show you. Painted, it's a famous picture by Rembrandt, based on this parable, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, as I was looking at some, uh, some of the art that represents this parable, what I noticed was... Often, you'll see incredible portraits of the father embracing the son, but you know who's left out of many of those portraits? The older brother. Here, Rembrandt, he captures it all. You see the father embracing the son. Look at the son. He doesn't have his shoes on. He's in rags. He's tattered. But the father embraces him. But there we see the older brother standing to the side, his face receiving the light, the light of the joy that's radiating from the father and this incredible reunion, this incredible welcome, this incredible repentance. But the older brother is standing stiff and looking. Will he ever join him? Jesus leaves it open-ended. I want to look at three lessons from this story now. Each one of these lessons gets to the very heart, the very essence, the evangelium in the evangelio, the, the heart of the gospel of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to find the joy in the Christian life. First lesson from this parable is how we view God. This parable gives us a radical way a new way, an unheard of way that Jesus taught about who God is and how we are to view him. In all three of the parables in Luke 15, the primary and most powerful character is the character who represents God. 
the shepherd who finds the sheep, the woman who finds the coin, and the father. So maybe the best title for the story isn't the parable of the lost sons, but the parable of the prodigal father. As Tim Keller in his amazing book on this parable calls it, the prodigal God. The father is reckless and extravagant and uncontrolled. He is over the top in his love for both of his sons. This is where the parable goes beyond the previous two in Luke 15. A good shepherd would go out and find his sheep. Yep, a good shepherd would do that. A woman who had lost a coin that was equal to 10 days worth of wages would definitely go and search everywhere for this coin. The difference in this story is that it takes it farther than anyone would have been comfortable with. A father who had sons treat him like this would never do what this father did. Too much. It's humiliating. This is prodigal. This is excessive. This is embarrassing grace and mercy. A Jewish book of wisdom from this time, uh, the wisdom of Sirach, said this. A man's manner of walking tells you what he is. A man's manner of walking tells you what he is. Here in this parable is a father who doesn't walk, he runs. He throws his arms around a sinner who kisses him in all his dirtiness and uncleanliness before he gets cleaned up. And he comes out to his angry, self-righteous son, and he tenderly speaks to him, child. This tells you what kind of father he is. This tells you what kind of God God is. This is the God of the Bible. The God who comes out to us. Now for the father to come out, as we saw in both instances, to both sons was unheard of. It brought shame and humiliation to this father. Many believe the father had to come out to the younger son as he was coming home to shield him from the scorn and the insults of the community as he came all ragged and torn. They knew what he had done. And so the father comes to cover his shame and to restore him back. And the older son, like we said, was supposed to be the MC, the host of this gathering. The father comes out to him. And probably what's going on, you imagine a feast. This older son is publicly dishonoring his dad. And the father goes out and takes the scorn and the shame and the humiliation. He bears it out of his love for the sons. Why would the father be so humiliated out of his love for the sons? This is the gospel. This is the God of the Bible. A God who would come to us in all of our lostness and sin, bearing even the humiliation of life in a fallen and broken world, taking on our humanity, eventually taking on our sin on a cross. Why? Out of his love for us. This is the God of the Bible. The reason why both of these sons got lost and were separated from the Father and his great joy was, listen to this, at the root, the same father was wrong. Both the bad son and the good son had a wrong view of the father. The younger son, he didn't hide his view of the father or what it meant to stay with the father. He said, in this house, it's too restrictive. There's too many rules. It's not enough. What you have is not enough. You are holding me back. I am leaving. You're holding me back. 
the older son hid his view of the father behind a good orthodox facade, but inside he had the same view as the younger son. It all came out, didn't it? He said, you've been holding back from me all this time. You never even gave me a goat. You treat me like a slave. What is, friends, your view of God? Not your official view of God, the one that you can write down on paper. What is your view of God in your heart, in your soul? The father in this story, he shows us what God is like. What is your view of God is probably the most important question of all. Because if your view of God doesn't match the Father in this story, you will get lost. You will get lost. And this story shows us how this happened in one of two ways. Maybe in both ways. There are two ways to get lost, which is the second lesson that I want to spend some time with. How do we get lost? One of the most mind-blowing aspects of this parable is how powerfully and clearly it shows us that there are two ways to be lost. Jesus here is so radically different from all other religions, all other religious approaches. All of them say there's one way to get lost. Be bad. Be disobedient. Don't follow the rules. That is what it means to be lost. Jesus says, no, there are two ways. The two sons represent the two ways that all human beings get lost. The younger son was obviously lost. He lost everything eventually. He was feeding pigs. He was coming home in rags. It was clear and obvious. But the older son, who was home the whole time, who was with the Father, doing the right thing, obeying, according to this story, was just as lost as the younger son. In fact, wasn't he even more lost? Because we never know if he came back home to the Father. These two sons represent the two ways every one of us seeks to find ourselves, to find meaning, to define ourselves, to save ourselves. One is the follow my heart way. I will follow my heart. I will do what I want, younger brother. The other is the follow the rules way. I will live by the rules. I will do the right thing. The follow the heart way, the follow the rules way, neither of them are following Jesus. That's what this parable says. Now, the first way we get lost is like the younger brother. The younger son leaves his home. Let's look at these two ways that we get lost. The younger son leaves his home. His traditional moral upbringing, he follows his heart into loose and wild and an extravagant life. He says, I don't need God. I don't need all these rules. I'll live my way. That's what he represents. And the father lets him leave. Now, this is a major biblical theme that Jesus is pointing out here in this story. We don't have time to unpack it fully. But the psalm that we read in our call to worship and in our prayers of the people, Psalm 81, actually describes this as a handing over, where God says, I am speaking to you. Will you listen to me? I want to satisfy you. I want to love you. And instead, we won't listen to him. And the psalm says, well, then God hands us over. In other words, he gives us what we ask for. He answers our prayer to leave him behind. Why would he do that? Romans 6.23. Many of you have memorized this verse. It says, the wages of sin is death. Now, we often wrongly 
uh, think about this uh, verse as the wages of sin is death, meaning God pays us uh, death for our sin, but that's actually not what it's saying. It's saying the wages of sin, what sin pays us, the life of leaving God behind, what it pays out, the payout of that is death. And often God gives us what we ask for, to walk away from him. Why? Why would God allow that? So that we might experience the famine. What was the turning point? What was the sign that this son knew he was lost? Well, a famine came and all of a sudden he realized he was lonely and empty. This way of living, following your heart, it can be exciting at first, but it leads to a deep loneliness and an emptiness that only God can fill. Verse 17 says, uh, when he came to his senses, in some translations, literally it says, when he came to himself. This promise of being authentic, of finding myself free from restraints, is actually how the Bible teaches we lose ourselves. And the emptiness and the loneliness in this experience is a chance for us to remember who we are. To remember whose we are. Friends, some of you are getting lost in this way with the pandemic. In the way of the younger brother. With all the unrest in the world, as this pandemic continues, all the data is showing us that more and more people are just checking out from church. People who would say they are committed Christians. And even from God. Some overtly saying, I'm, maybe I'll come back when it's all over. Some very subtly. With all the anxiety we're feeling, all the stuff we are going through, we're overwhelmed and we're lonely. And instead of holding on to God and clinging to Him and coming to Him, maybe you are escaping into excess, into addiction, into the overuse of alcohol, into pornography, into addiction to your screen. The younger brother is a story for us. It's a story for you. Don't wait until the famine. Come home. But there's a second way we get lost. It's like the elder brother. Most people who grow up in the church, most people who leave the church, and most people who have not grown up in the church think that the message of Christianity is something like this. Be good, be moral, follow the rules, and God will reward you with a pretty good life, and you will get into heaven when it's your time. This story, maybe more than any other place in the Bible, shows us this is not Christianity. This is not the message of Jesus, and if we believe this, we are lost. Many of you might say, I don't think that. Uh, I understand the message of Jesus is, is believe in Him, believe in grace. This, Friends, this might not be what you think, your official theology, but let me ask you, let me challenge you with this question. Do you identify with how the older brother feels, with what he says and does? The, the older son here, he dishonored, he displeased the father just as much as the younger son. Even though he obeyed and followed the rules, he showed what was inside all along when the father welcomed the younger son. He never wanted to honor or please or enjoy the father. He just wanted the father's stuff. That was why he obeyed. That's why he was good. That's why he was the son who was faithful. But he was just like the younger son. He didn't want the father. He wanted the father's stuff. He thought he'd get it in a different way, by being good, by being moral, by obeying. The elder brother, without leaving home, was as far away as the younger brother 
and what he felt really came out when the time came. He was felt like a slave. It was all duty. It was just drudgery. Jesus leaves the story open-ended. And he leaves us with this question, what would it take for the elder brother to come into the party, to enter into the joy that was happening in his father's house? Not as a slave, not as somebody who's just obeying because he had to. That was his duty as the older brother or the father forced him. What would it take for him to re-enter as a son? To have a joyful entrance with dancing and celebrating and eating. What would he have to do? He would have to repent. Like the younger son. But unlike the younger son, he would not have to repent of his sins. He would have to repent of his goodness. Of his righteousness. Not of immoral living, but his moral living. Because he was doing it all along, not for the Father, but to get from the Father. Do you see this, friends? This is the radical message of Jesus. He says, if you can only enter by grace alone, then what do we have to repent of to get in? Elder brothers have to repent of our goodness. And if we can't, we're living as our own Savior. What are the signs that you are an elder brother? The signs of younger brother living were loneliness and emptiness, that deep void that nothing can fill, no matter where you look. The signs of the elder brother heart. It's there in the story. It's anger and resentment. You believe right. You behave right. But mostly, you have no joy in any of it. There's anger and resentment toward God, especially when things go wrong in your life. Especially when you see other people succeed and have things that you don't. When their life goes the way you want your life to go, you feel deep inside, God, what's the point? And there's resentment toward the younger brother. Those whom you see is on the other side of morality. Those whom you see is the ones who are tearing society apart, who are living dishonorably, wildly, and recklessly. There is a great superiority and anger that comes out towards them a resentment towards them. Do you feel these things in your heart? It's a sign you're getting lost like an elder brother. We all tend to get lost in one of these ways. But what I've found in my own heart, what I've seen in my experience as a pastor, is that we can have both going on in our hearts. Both the younger brother and elder brother living. And we often try to solve the problem of the one with the other. This parable says, don't solve the emptiness and loneliness of sinful excess, of disobedience with trying hard to get good and be serious about reading your Bible and praying. Don't try to solve one with the other. And don't try to solve the exhaustion and the resentment of joyless religion by throwing it all away and saying, forget it. It's not working anyway. No. Jesus says there's a third way. Don't avoid repentance. Come home is the third lesson. How do we come home? When we get lost, whether it's as a younger or older brother, it's through repentance. All the stories in Luke 15 are about repentance. What is it? Well, the younger brother shows us the three elements of a genuine repentant return. One is awareness. He came to his senses. Two is an admission. He confessed what he had done. 
He owned it. And third is a return. Awareness, admission, return. We see all three in the younger brother, but we see none in the older brother, which is a great caution because the younger brother, he knew he was lost. But the older brother was blind. He didn't see it. In Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God, he makes the point. We've, we've said this already. Both of the sons used the father to get what they really loved, one by being very good, one by being very bad. The story ends with the bad son being saved and the good son on the outside, which was a shock. And what was keeping him from coming home to the joy and the love of the father? Right, not his sins, but his goodness and his righteousness. And he needed to repent, to come home, be aware of it. So hard to be aware of this, to admit it. What he really wanted was not God, but to get from God and to come home. Often we, we stop short. We might see how we're lost, but we don't come home to joy, receiving and believing the love of the Father for us, despite how far we've been lost. A Christian does not obey God to get from God. A Christian obeys God to get God. To delight in Him. To honor Him. To show Him love. And to show Him to other people. If we ask, is this story for the believer or the unbeliever? The answer is yes. Luke 15 tells us repentance. It's like a trailhead. Okay, it's the trailhead, it's, it's how you enter into the Christian life, it's how you begin, but it's also the path that takes you all the way home. It's the path to return to when you get lost. And we all get lost. But we can all come home. Awareness, admission, return. Now I'm looking at my, my time here. There are two final applications that I want to point out very quickly. First, let me say this. If there is an awareness in your heart right now as you're listening to this, admission, confess, and come home. There's great power here in this parable for two things that I think are very important, very relevant for our times. First, there is power in this parable for us to move beyond the either or. In order for for these sons to experience the joy of the Father. Look, both sons had to repent, and both had to celebrate with each other. Do you see that? The younger brother knew the party was supposed to be hosted by his older brother, who he knew hated him, despised him, but he would have to go into that party with him being the host. That's what he thought when he went home. And the older brother, to really repent, meant to join the party, to host it for his younger brother, <laughs> to rejoice with his father, Friends, this, this is saying there is power in the gospel when we understand it, when we truly repent like this. There is power to reconcile older brothers and younger brothers. Do you see it? You may feel uh, like some people during this time, you know, the problem with the world is all the self-righteous, moralist people, people who divide the world into good and bad, bigots, angry, resentful people. And Jesus says you're right. So much of the harm in the world is because of people like this. But you might be saying, no, the problem with the world is the follow-your-heart liberal type of people who say, forget the rules, make your own, express yourself, find your identity, create it yourself. 
live how you want, and Jesus says you're right too. It brings great harm to live like that to ourselves and others. Leads to addiction, compulsion, the breakdown of families, etc. What can heal our divided world right now, friends? Jesus says we are using the wrong categories. The world is not divided between good and bad, right and wrong, conservative, progressive, whatever. It is divided between lost and found, between dead and alive. Both younger brothers and older brothers can say, it's only grace that brought me home, and find themselves together rejoicing in the love of a father who receives them by grace and saying, let's party. So much of what we are seeing in this time is dividing of the world into two. Now, would anyone ask us in the church, how do you guys do this? How do you live together? Of such differing perspectives. The answer is it begins with repentance. It begins with repentance. Can I say especially of angry and resentful elder brother types? That kind of repentance will change the world. And finally, final thought. I'll do this quickly. There's a power that moves us beyond the either or. There's also a joy that can fill the home. Application in this parable. A part of the power of this story is that it's about a family. And we all know what a family is like. It's something we all can relate to. It's about a a family that had some issues, which is something we can all relate to. Family and home is what shapes us more than any other place. It's a fact of human life. And the heart of the Father has application for our homes, for parents. The atmosphere of a Christian home, this parable says, the primary feeling of a Christian home should be joy. That's hard for us during this time of pandemic where our home has become where we're locked in, locked down. But the key to joy in the home is how we do repentance in the home. Quote from Ronald Rollheiser in his book, Domestic Monastery. Parents, I want you to hear this. This has been sitting with me ever since I read it. So powerful, so challenging. A parent must ever say in word and attitude, return as far as you can, I will come the rest of the way. Return as far as you can, and I will come the rest of the way. Isn't that the heart of the Father? Parents, when our kids fail and struggle, and they will, we must go the rest of the way to them. And at the sight of the smallest turn, receive them with joy. And when we fail, parents, we must repent. We must show our kids what it looks like to come home to the Father, to show them the Father's heart. Even when we fail and struggle, even when we need to ask them, for forgiveness. That's the best gift that you can give them. Amen. Friends, this is the very heart of the gospel. May it get into our heart of hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. It is unlike anything we would have dreamed of or thought up on our own a God of such radical grace for us who get so lost. And I pray for those who are listening right now who maybe have wandered off and gotten lost, following their own way far from you, who have seen you as a God who is restrictive, restraining, a God of no joy, that in the place of loneliness and emptiness they would find 
that they come to their senses and come back to you. Would you draw them now? And for those of us who struggle with the anger and the resentment of elder brothers, help us lay down our good deeds that we think would earn us what we want to get from you. Help us lay that down and repent and come to you, the one who saves us, the one who delivers us, the one who receives us home and teach us. Father, teach us to receive one another with joy. May it fill our homes. May it heal the divisions that run deep in our hearts. And may you do it in order that we might honor, glorify you as the God, who is the God who is this gracious and loving. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.